The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with stocks continuing to cut into their massive December gains as tech comes off of its worst day since October. Big part of that story, of course, it's Apple. Seeing its worst day in months is set to open at a fresh seven-week low, Apple's weakness also dragging down some major alt markets overseas. Also in the Red Sea, global shipping giants extend their pause in the region as investors reward the risk-off strategy. Plus, why famed big short investor Steve Eisman is betting against Wall Street consensus once again, this time with his eyes on the Fed. And then later, 2024 may be starting off with a bit of a whimper, but one top stock picker says this sector is set for a breakout. It's Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a rough start to the new year, that saw the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ all closed lower on the day. Take a look right now at futures. You can see right across the board, looks like the Dow would open up about 75 points lower. Take a look at the NASDAQ down just about a half a percent. Big focus continues to be on big tech with the NASDAQ composite coming off its worst day since late October and its worst first day performance to start a year since all the way back in 2016. And I think you got to blame Apple for the massive downside move after Barclays downgraded the stock to underweight, citing concern around hardware adoption and growth prospects. Apple's worst day in four months is set to open up at a seven week low. You can see right now in the pre-market, it's down just about a half a percent. We'll have much more on Apple coming up later in the show. So red arrows for stocks mean green arrows for bond yields with the 10 year Treasury coming off a very impressive one day gain. Take a look right now. We're seeing the benchmark at 3.97, creeping very close to that 4% level. We're also watching Bitcoin once again with optimism for cryptocurrency, topping 45000 for the first time since April of 2022 and higher again this morning. And now we want to get a check on markets that are all around the world. Our JP Ong's in Singapore with the overnight action in Asia. Our Jamana Bersetchi has the early trade over in Europe. JP, good morning. Let's start with you. Uh, good morning to you, Frank, and Happy New Year to all of you out there on the East Coast. And yes, not a lot of confidence for Asian markets. This hump day session, a lot of the major indices closing in the red. You could say there's a hint of cautious, cautiousness ahead of the release of the Federal Reserve's minutes of, the, of, their next, of their latest meeting just in a couple of hours, but also a lot of concerns about the Chinese economic slowdown and few real, uh, real catalysts for, for any upside moves for these indices. As you can see here on the board from Sydney to Shanghai, many of these indices actually closing at the red. Remember, the Japanese market is still offline, but many are still awaiting any possible market reaction market to resume trading in Tokyo tomorrow 
from that earthquake that hit Japan over New Year's Day and also that plane collision at Haneda Airport that resulted in five members of the Japanese Coast Guard actually losing their lives. Of course, we have to talk about the impact on the tech space and Apple's downgrade from Barclays really hitting a lot of these major Apple suppliers in the region. Everyone from TSMC to Honhai, Foxconn, all the way down to Luxshare, the makers of Apple's AirPods actually, all seeing a down day so far as they also follow the tech giant out, uh, the tech giant out of Cupertino in the red. But there is one sector possibly that actually provides a little bit of upside, and that's in the Hang Seng tech space. You're looking at the stocks Tencent and NetEase, a senior gaming official or, 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 or official that oversees gaming regulations in China was actually let go or actually, uh, or actually forced to resign. He was actually one of the uh, heads that actually was, uh, was the, one, of the, one of the authors, at least, of new gaming regulations that hit some of these gaming stocks. And this removal might provide some upside for them. So that's the one bright spot we saw in Asia this Wednesday. Frank, it's back to you. All right, our JP on with a look at the Asian markets again. The Hang Seng down almost 1%. Let's turn to Europe now and our Jamana Bersetchi. Jamana, good morning. Morning, Frank. Well, it's a risk off over here in Europe as well. Stock 600 pulling back from those 24-month highs that we saw uh, towards the close yesterday. Every single one of these bourses is trading in the red, with the exception of the Swiss index, which tends to be a slightly more defensive index. Uh, and again, a similar theme to the U.S., investors have started to dial back their expectations of the first rate cut out of the ECB. Bond yields are moving higher, and so that is having an adverse impact on, on stocks this morning. The FTSE 100 down half a percent. We continue to see an underperformance in basic resources miners, which was the theme from yesterday. Zetchadax also down about eight-tenths of a percent. The Kekarant is being pulled down by one stock, that is Alstom at the rail network was downgraded by Barclays yesterday. The stock is down 7% today, right towards the bottom of the stock 600. But of course, that is not the only stock that Barclays downgraded yesterday. As we've been talking about on all of these shows, they also downgraded Apple. So that is having an impact on European chip makers as well. Uh, every part of the supply chain, other chip design designers, chip makers are all, all coming under selling pressures. You can see ASML, perhaps the most famous one uh, in Netherlands, down 2.1%. And they, of course, are grappling with export restrictions when it comes to China. AMS down 4.8%. Others also down similar amount, down about 2.5%. So a decisively risk-off tone today with tech, chip makers, and construction and material leading the declines in terms of sectors today, Frank. Yeah, a lot to uh, follow over there. A lot of red on the board over there. Our Jemana Bersetchi live in our London newsroom. Jemana, great to see you as always. Turn our attention back to Wall Street. The Fed has set expectations for three rate cuts this year. We may get a better idea of their thinking for this call when the minutes from the December meeting are released at 2 p.m. Eastern today. Investors are expecting even more cuts than the Fed is forecasting, as many as seven this year, according to the CME FedWatch tool. Goldman Sachs and Bank of America expect the cuts to begin in March. J.P. Morgan chief economist Michael Faroli sees five quarter point moves this year. However, he sees the cuts starting in June. Jonathan Pringle from UPS expects the Fed will bring rates below 3 percent by December if inflation has fallen faster than policymakers have projected, at least so far. But one noted investor thinks the market's just being too aggressive. Steve Eisman of Big Short fame telling CNBC the Fed may only cut one time in 2024. Even if inflation does come in, if I'm the Fed and I'm, I'm looking at the Volcker lesson, I say to myself, what's my rush? Inflation has come in. If I don't, if I don't, if I'm not aggressive, I can always cut rates tomorrow if things get weak. But if the economy is still flying and inflation has come in, why don't I keep rates here? All right, let's get some reaction to that and the broader market moves. Gene Goldman is chief investment officer, et cetera. Gene, happy new year. Great to see you. 
Happy New Year, Frank. How are you? All right. So I think we got to look at the action we saw yesterday. Uh, bond, mill, bond yields, they moved sharply higher, about 10 basis points when we're talking about the benchmark 10-year. Then we see the S&P and the NASDAQ have their worst day since October. What is your rate outlook? How do you see your rate outlook impacting the markets going forward? Yeah, and thank you so much. I think for 2024, we're, we are optimistic on rates. I mean, I know that the Fed is saying three for 2024 based on their dot plot, and you're seeing everyone out there saying anywhere from one to five to seven. I think we are sort of in that sort of four level, maybe five, but not as aggressive as the markets have priced in. I mean, I think you look at the reasons why. For example, services inflation is still above 2%. We've seen falling energy prices, but it's more important to loosen the labor market in order to reduce services. Also, you have the fact that the economy is starting to slow down. The Fed needs to cut rates. Also, one thing we've been telling you and your viewers is that the Loretta Mester factor is important. Loretta Mester now is a voting member of the Fed. She is one of the most hawkish members of the Fed. She's on the Fed as a voting member for the first six months. She's going to have a little bit of a hawkish bias towards the Fed. So net-net, I think we expect... Maybe four rate hikes for the rate, excuse me, rate cuts for this year. Not as aggressive as markets are priced in, but a little bit more than the Fed has suggested. And also, one more point: keep in mind is that the Fed funds rate is about two percent, two and a half percent above inflation. Okay. It is extremely restrictive already. All right, you got a couple of points we got to keep in mind there, Gene. I guess we'll get some answers at two p.m. Eastern when those Fed minutes are released. Um, I want to yeah. talk to you about your S and P five hundred price target for the year. It's fifty one hundred, about a six percent upside from where we are right now. Give us a sense. How do we get there? Is it the market broadening out and uh, all sectors participating in a rally? Or do you think tech continues to live up to its AI expectations and its high valuations? Also saw you there. Uh, You expect the earnings recession to be over. Do you expect the earnings from tech to live up to these high valuations? Great, great question. So I think what's going to happen in 2024 is that near term, you know, a lot of the 2024 returns were pulled into 2023. You know, that makes sense. What we do see, though, is that the market breadth will widen as the Fed cut rates. And what we sort of term 2024 to be is much more of an opportunistic bull market. Not everything is going to go higher. We are going to see some volatility in the markets. The volatility is going to create a lot of potential opportunities, areas that we are really excited about. Value, for example, small cap. I think if you take all things together, how do we get a price target of 5100 for the year end? It's about 6 to 8%. One thing, things we're looking at is that interest rates are going to come back to normal. The recession is going to prove to be a non-event. We saw a huge surge in productivity late last year. That's amazing. That usually occurs at the end of a recession. So maybe we don't have a recession. And then your point, what you said earlier, the earnings recession, in our opinion, is likely over. 2024 earnings should rise about 11 to 11 0.5%. According to facts, that good news there. We think the earnings recession is over. And think about this. PPI is falling at a faster clip okay. than CPI. Profit margin positive. All right, Gene Goldman, great to see you. Thank you very much. Great Price target, 5100 this year for the S&P 500. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Wednesday morning. Well, global shipping firms Maersk and Hapak Lloyd say they will continue to divert vessels from the Red Sea following a brief return to the key shipping lane. The costly decision to reroute ships around South Africa comes after Maersk paused Red Sea routes for 48 hours following a series of Houthi attacks on its ships in the region. This as unlisted fresh shipping group CMA is set to increase container shipping rates from Asia to the Mediterranean region by as much as 100 percent starting January 15th. 
Meanwhile, Fisher Investments is denying a Wall Street Journal report that it is in sale talks with private equity firm Advent International. In a statement, the money manager founded by billionaire Ken Fisher in 1979 with more than $230 billion in assets worldwide says it is not being bought by Advent or anyone else. Quote, plain and simple, adding, had the journal bothered to verify the story, they would have corrected them. And the NFL is fining billionaire investor and Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper $300,000 after he was caught on video Sunday showing what appears to be Tepper throwing a drink at a fan. In a statement, Tepper said he regrets his behavior and will accept the league's discipline for his conduct, Frank. Yeah, that was a kind that of a was, shocking video. I mean, really he's an was. owner, so he's held to a higher right. standard. Oh, cool. He really is, yeah. But on the other side, I'm not condoning anything he did, but you right. have to imagine some fans down there in the Carolinas. Yes. They're probably like, oh, <laughs> the owner's into it. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> All right, Silvana, we'll see you later in the show. See you later, Frank. All right, coming up, we have a lot more here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, we are counting down to the Iowa caucus and what former President Trump's commanding lead could mean for the rest of the field and for the 2024 presidential race. Plus, much more on Apple's slide and why our next guest is still holding out for Tim Cook and company's One More Thing. And then later, breaking out some big ideas for the first quarter, why Katie Stockton has her eyes on one sector that she thinks is prime for a breakout. Stay with us. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're less than two weeks out from the first nominating contest of the 2024 election season, the Republican Iowa caucus. Former President Trump still holds a commanding lead over the rest of the GOP field. The election will dominate much of the agenda this year, but Congress also has a lot of work to do when they return to Washington next week and little time to do it with yet another shutdown showdown looming for later this month. Let's talk much more about all of this with Brian Gardner, chief Washington policy strategist at Stiefel, also the host of the Potomac Perspective podcast. Brian, Happy New Year. Great to have you here. Happy New Year, Frank. Good morning. All right. So got a lot to talk about. I think we got to start off with the Iowa caucuses. Um, President Trump with a command or former President Trump with a commanding lead. How should investors view this caucus and just the likelihood that it's going to be another showdown between Trump and Biden coming in November? Yeah, so I, you did. Trump has had a very wide lead in Iowa the whole time. Um, it's in the 30 point range. Uh, the next state, New Hampshire, it's narrowed a little bit. Nikki Haley's got had a little bit of traction, but in Iowa, he's always maintained this big lead. Now, some people think that Iowa breaks late, 
But 30 points, you got to think that Trump is in really strong position to win Iowa and uh, really set himself on course to win the nomination, probably wrap it up in, in effectively in, in early March and then set up that that showdown. The, the what I refer to as the rerun that no one wants to watch because <laughs> we're not happy with the, with the two choices. But in terms of investors, um, you know, I, I think then it comes down to what happened, you know, who wins and what happens in 25, because there's some really significant tax debates on the horizon for, for 2025, because you have so many parts of the Trump tax cuts from 2017 expiring. Right. So this is this is an, this is a, a consequential election for tax policy. All right. So uh, some a lot for investors to pay attention to. Uh, we mentioned the agenda when lawmakers returned from their recess. So there's two key dates, January 19th and February 2nd. There are two key funding dates. And again, we are facing the possibility of a shutdown. How should investors view this and those two dates? So one base case is that there's going to be a shutdown. Um, very little uh, progress has been made towards uh, passing uh, spending bills to avert a shutdown. So you expect the shutdown. What does that mean, though, for markets? And I think history tells us very little. Uh, we have markets that have uh, that have uh, declined during shutdowns. We also had markets that have rallied during shutdowns. Matter of fact, the last shutdown, which was one of, if not the longest uh, shutdown in history, 34 days, December 2018 into uh, January 2019, the market was up 10 percent. So I'm not telling investors that a shutdown means that stocks are going up. I'm just saying it's not the factor that people think it is. So kind of keep calm, carry on, pay attention to other factors that are going on. We're going to be in earnings season. You have geopolitical events. Those are the issues that are going to, to move markets, not the shutdown. All right. So, Brian, stick around for just a minute. I want to pivot to a different story. Uh, Biden administration officials say they will reopen several southern border crossings this week, which have been closed due to a, a surge of migrants arriving to the U.S. The announcement coming as a group of House Republicans led by Speaker Mike Johnson will visit one of those crossings today in Texas. Our Emily Wilkins joins us now with much more and the message that Johnson is sending to the White House with that trip to the border. Emily, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, yeah, the Senate and the White House are hashing out this bipartisan border deal here in Washington. Speaker Mike Johnson is in Texas, leading a group more than, as you said, 60 Republicans to the southern border, trying to send that message to Biden. Reaching some sort of deal on border security and immigration is key to get enough Republicans to support and pass a larger foreign aid package, which includes billions of funding for Ukraine, Israel, the Indo-Pacific region. Now, President Biden initially requested more than $13 billion in funding for the border as part of that package. But Republicans have made it clear that they're only going to accept policy changes. So a number of Senate negotiators returned to D.C. last night to hash out details before Congress returns next week. Now, while Speaker Johnson hasn't been in the room for those negotiations, he is making it clear what he wants to see. Johnson called on Biden to use his executive order to implement broader changes, including ending a policy that allowed migrants to be released without a court date, restricting parole, and working with Mexico and Canada to take in those seeking asylum in the U.S. Johnson's also dealing with pressure from hardline conservatives who are threatening to not support funding the government unless stricter border security measures are implemented. In a letter, Texas Congressman Chip Roy called on the Senate to take up a wide-ranging border security bill known as H.R. 2 that House Republicans passed last year without any Democratic support. Roy said Republicans must make funding the federal government operations contingent on the president signing H.R. 2 or its equivalent. 
Frank, back to you. Emily, uh, before we let you go, can you give us some insight on what we're seeing from Republicans on this issue? The Senate appears willing to work with the president, the House taking a much harder line. We have seen the House and Senate Republicans divide on so many things, Frank. We've seen them divide on Trump. We've seen them divide on various bills. And I think immigration is just the latest fight where we're seeing this. I mean, part of it's a math problem. House Republicans don't need Democrats to pass the things they want to pass. Uh, where the Senate, you absolutely need uh, to have Democrats on board to get anything done. So Republicans in the Senate know this. That's part of the reason why they're working with the White House, uh, with uh, Secretary Mayorkas, even while House Republicans are waiting impeaching Mayorkas. So you're just seeing a huge difference here in the approach. And I think the real trick is that if the Senate does come up with an agreement, how does Speaker Johnson handle it? That's going to be a huge test for him, really pitting him against some of the hardliners in his conference who are already lining up to go against him versus, of course, just needing to get something done. All right, Emily Wilkins, live in D.C. Emily, thank you very much. Uh, Turning back to Brian Gardner from Stiefel, still with us right now. Brian, I want to get your reaction. So I I think it's interesting listening to Emily's reports. I I think she nailed the topic pretty well. But the the issue, I think, for the White House is that it's been late to engage on the border issue um, and it's engaging only with the Senate. And I kind of understand that Uh, President Biden being a former senator, he's partial to that body. But there's not been a lot of engagement, in my opinion, with House Republicans and Senate Republicans have shown a willingness to defer to the House. Uh, on on spending bills, on the border issue. And so until the White House really engages with House Republicans and get gets a deal with them, it's going to be very difficult to get a broader deal on the border and by extension, the supplemental. And then at the same time, you also have another faction in Congress, the progressives, who don't want those concessions. And so getting a deal on the border and by extension, either the budget spending Um, or a a supplemental foreign aid package for Ukraine and Israel is going to be very difficult. There's uh, there's a consensus in Washington, I think, that they will reach a deal. I'm not as optimistic as as a lot of folks here in town. I think think the negotiations are much tougher than people have acknowledged. All right, Brian Gardner from Stiefel saying it's going to be a difficult road ahead for both the budget, the border, and funding for Ukraine. A lot to watch. Brian, I'm sure we'll talk again in the near future. Happy New Year, Frank. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Bill Ackman prevails once again in his fight against a trio of Ivy League University presidents. But there's still one more name on his no-mo list. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on more of this morning's headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Good morning. 
Hi, Frank. Good morning. We begin with the latest on Japan's recovery from that New Year's Day earthquake. The death toll from that disaster keeps rising, currently standing at 64 people, a number that is expected to increase even further. Rescue efforts are still ongoing, with scores of people feared trapped in collapsed buildings. Officials say there is a high risk of more earthquakes in the next week, possibly as powerful as the 7.6 magnitude one that struck on Monday. Turning to the 2024 election, where former President Donald Trump has now appealed the ruling in Maine that would ban him from the ballot. Maine's Secretary of State had ruled that the former president's actions during the January 6th attack on the Capitol makes him ineligible to run. In his appeal, Mr. Trump calls Maine's Democratic Secretary of State biased and says she has no authority to act. Embattled Harvard President Claudine Gay has stepped down after just six months in the position. Calls for Gay's resignation followed backlash to her response at last month's congressional hearing when Republican Elise Stefanik pressed her about anti-Semitism on college campuses. Gay also faced plagiarism accusations over her academic work. Bill Ackman tweeted it to Sally in response to the news, apparently referencing MIT President Sally Kornbluff, who also testified at the hearing. Ackman is the billionaire hedge fund manager who has been an outspoken critic of how the Ivy League institutions handled anti-Semitism concerns. Frank, you're up to date with your headlines. We send it back to you. All right, Francis Rivera with the very latest from New York. Francis, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. All right, coming up, a rough start to 2024 for Chinese EV stocks. Despite record-breaking sales numbers, much more worldwide exchange coming up right after this. It is exactly 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here in Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. The Santa Raleigh falling a bit short as stock futures point to more losses at the open, but not every sector is waking up in the red. However, shares of Apple, they are lower this morning, coming off their worst day in four months on growth and iPhone adoption concerns. We're going to break down where we stand today and if there's still reason to hold out hope for a Tim Cook turnaround. And then later in the show, our week-long series, laying out some big ideas for your portfolio in the first quarter. It continues, and the sector our next guest says is set for a breakout. It's Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a bit of a rough start to the new year. That's saw the Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq all close lower on the day. Take a look at futures right now. You can see they're in the red across the board. The Dow hitting its lows of the morning, looking like it would open up just about 90 points lower. The Nasdaq continues to be under pressure. The big focus continues to be on big tech, with the Nasdaq composite coming off its worst day since late October and its worst first-day performance of a year since all the way back in 2016. And, of course, Apple, a huge part of that. We're going to get a gut check on Apple in just a moment. Red arrows for stocks, they also mean green arrows for bond yields, with the 10-year Treasury coming off an impressive one-day gain. We're seeing the yield on the benchmark right now at 3.97, creeping closer and closer to 4%. Bond yields, not the only thing higher. It's a big day for some bank stocks, too, with names like J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs hitting their highest level in more than a year. You can see right now BlackRock also up a quarter of a percent. Coming up, we'll see why Katie Stockton says there's much more room to run for many of these financial names. 
We're also watching Bitcoin once again with optimism everywhere for cryptocurrency. Bitcoin topping 45,000 for the first time since April of 2022. You can see it's higher again this morning, up just over three quarters of a percent, very close to 45,300. We'll continue to watch Bitcoin. We're also watching Apple, of course, following its 4% decline yesterday, the biggest drop in four months and a seven-week low. Apple also, again, sharply lower this morning. This one, a very rare downgrade from Barclays, saying weakening iPhone 15 sales. They're likely a warning sign for iPhone 16 sales and broader demand for hardware in the U.S. and in China. Shares of Apple suppliers falling in tandem overnight in Asia. We're talking names like Taiwan Semi, Han Hai, Samsung, SK Hynix, and LG, all down between one half and four percent. Joining me now with the outlook on Apple is Alex Kantrowitz, big technology founder and a CNBC contributor. Alex, Happy New Year. Good morning. Great to see you. Happy New Year, Frank. Great to see you, too. All right. So again, Apple having a pretty tough day after that Barclays downgrade. Some people attributed it to profit taking. Of course, Apple up about 50 percent last year. Others to longer term concerns about their hardware business. What camp do you fall in? Like, I think there's definitely profit taking here. You definitely can't take that out of the picture. But I think the Barclays note pointed at something that a lot of people are worried about, and that's that iPhone sales growth is going to slow down. And for Apple, they're the iPhone company. Everything is all in on the iPhone. And if you see slowness there, you have to ask if they have enough to make up for it. And to me, I think that's the bigger issue. You see that they're talking about slowness in 15 and already 16. And if you don't have the iPhone carrying you in your Apple, then what are you doing? And I think that's the real question for the company right now. So are you worried about a slowdown in growth for the iPhone because of just it plateauing? I mean, so many people have iPhones or is China one of the reasons that you're concerned? I would say the biggest issue here is the upgrade cycle, right? People have the iPhone 15, it looks like the 14, and that will probably look like the 16. So you're getting to a point where people are upgrading just much more slowly. And when you're in that situation, you just can't afford to have any other potential issues along the way. You don't want to have China as a potential risk factor. And unfortunately for Apple, it's this perfect storm where you're having the China issue hit and the upgrade cycle story start to come to fruition. And so I would say the upgrade cycle is the real problem. But now any other blip causes serious issues. And that's what we're seeing with the company. Yeah. uh, By the way, uh, Apple gets about 19 percent of all overall revenue from China. So a big issue if there are issues in China. The other thing I want to talk to you about is valuation. So Apple's trading at about 29 times forward earnings compared to its historical average of about 18 times. Is Apple simply getting just too expensive considering some of the headwinds that you just mentioned, Uh, a slowdown in iPhone growth and also China? I think it probably is too expensive. And I think the reason why it got so expensive is because the company was selling this big services story to Wall Street saying, you got to think of us as a technology company, not necessarily just a hardware company and give us those software multiples. Well, it was never a software company. It always had that hardware component to it. And those tend to have much lower multiples than what we see with Apple today. So, yeah, I do think it's pretty expensive right now. All right. So, Alex, I know you don't give price targets, but give us a sense. If you're an average investor, would you stick with Apple throughout 2024? Is now the time to kind of take those profits you got in 2023 and maybe hop off, at least until the valuation gets to a lower level? I I wouldn't panic right now. I really wouldn't panic around Apple. The company, if you look at Tim Cook's track record, has always figured out a way to get outside of these tough moments. 
and push forward and figure it out. And I think that's probably what's going to happen with the company this year. They're going to figure it out. They're going to find some ways to get those numbers to where they need to be. And that's been the Apple story under Cook, and I don't expect it to change. Once it does, we'll have to look at the company a lot differently. Uh, but I see no reason to doubt it at this moment. All right, Alex Kanchwitz of Big Technology, still bullish on Apple. Great to see you. Happy New Year. Thank you again. Happy New Year. Thank you. I was going to check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank. Yep, I'm back, and I've got more headlines. Indian budget airline Acasa Air is reportedly set to close on an order for around 150 Boeing 737 MAX jets. According to Reuters, the deal is expected to be announced at India's largest civil aviation expo, Wings India, scheduled for later this month. Blooming Brands is appointing two new members to its board of directors as part of a deal with activist investor Starboard Value. Now, the owner of Outback Steakhouse, Bonefish Grill and Carabas, also says it will form an operating committee to identify potential points for improvement. Starboard owns a nearly 10 percent stake in Blooming which was first disclosed back in August. And Manhattan home prices are on the rise for the first time in more than a year. According to appraiser Miller Samuel and brokerage Douglas Elliman, real estate purchases closed at a median of $1.16 million in the fourth quarter. That's up from five point, up from up 5.1% from a year earlier and marks the first annual increase since the third quarter of 2022, Frank. You know, kind of a a bullish sign for New York City. I know after the pandemic, some people were worried it would never be the same again. And the people that left wouldn't come back. But it looks like they're coming back. It certainly does. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. All right, turn our attention now back to stocks as we get set for the final trading day of the so-called Santa Rally period. And so far, it's looking like St. Nick forgot to stop by Wall Street as the S&P basically flat since December 22nd when the final five trading days of one year and the first two of the next year are good for an average gain of 1.3% going all the way back to 1950. You're seeing the chart right there. But a new year means new opportunities. Joining me now with her best idea for Q1 is Katie Stockton, founder and managing partner at Fairlead Strategies, portfolio manager for the TAC ETF, also a CNBC contributor. Happy New Year and good morning, Katie. Thanks, Frank. You too. All right, so your pick for us is the XLF. That's an ETF that tracks the financial sector. Why are you bullish on financials? You know, they've really emerged as a market leader. If you look at a ratio of XLF to the S&P 500, you'll see this really attractive, compelling basing phase with a breakout in Q4. So that relative performance that we saw from the financial sector in Q4, to me, was really very encouraging. It shows what had been sort of accumulation, then giving way to breakouts. And those breakouts occurred both in absolute and relative terms, meaning that stocks cleared previous resistance levels, previous highs on their charts, moving averages, and that includes XLF as well. We saw XLF emerge from a really a bear market cycle, sort of a a bear market range and then, you know, advanced, saw that momentum shift that was really very meaningful with that. And we saw our first long-term momentum buy signal behind XLF since it had flipped to a sell signal in early 22. All right. So we're looking at the charts right now. We're showing the audience. We're seeing that that dip at the end of October, beginning of November, and then the XLF outperforms the S&P after that period. Um, Give us a sense. What's the catalyst that's going to continue this strong performance in 2024? 
you know, the charts aren't going to answer the question what they'll or why, excuse me, they'll, they'll tell you what's happening. Mm-hmm. And what is happening is that the momentum shift is pretty meaningful. Of course, we do have earnings coming from a lot of the big financials starting later next week. And that includes the likes of J.P. Morgan, which is really within an inch or so of an all time high. So the action ahead of earnings is really very bullish. That creates a proof point for the sector. But listen, we would welcome some kind of consolidation or a pullback. A lot of the market does seem to be poised for that here in the in the coming weeks, okay. just given the overbought condition ahead of year end. Uh, but we would welcome that as an opportunity to add exposure. So again, the XLF is your pick for Q1, but you're also looking very closely at Bank of America. Uh, why Bank of America? What does Bank of America demonstrate for investors that you think is notable? You know, I just think it's exemplary of the sector. We have a bullish reversal there as well. You could draw a downtrend line on that chart and see that it's been broken. And Bank of America, like many others, had a bit of a shakeout ahead of the Q4 rally. And that, to me, was a very bullish development. It showed a willingness for buyers to step in. We also had, from a charting perspective, what we call a double bottom formation, really across the board in the financial sector. If you look at the likes of Fifth Third Bank, which was one of the best performing S&P 500 stocks in Q4, you'll see a nice double bottom formation. It looks a bit like a W on the chart. And those tend to reflect accumulation that happens after a downtrend cycle. So we do think that the financial sector, not just for Q1, but for 24, may emerge as sort of a leader, just like it showed itself in Q4. All right, Katie Stockton, your Q1 go big or go home pick, the XLF financial sector ETF. Uh, Bank earnings coming up next week. We'll have to wait and see. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. You as well. All right, coming up, KeyBank's bull call for one wireless stock with at least a $7 upside from yesterday's close. But first, we have some of your top trending stories. It's the Mickey Mouse Haunted House, the trailer for a new Mickey Mouse slasher film dropping on the same day as the iconic character's public domain debut without copyright protection. The Steamboat Willie version of Mickey can now be used by non-Disney creators in horror movies, video games, memes, and much more. Again, it's not... The classic Mickey is the Steamboat Willie, like the original. All right, also, one lucky buyer could trade in Brooklyn beers for Pina Coladas, a two-acre home in the Caribbean, heading to auction this month with a starting bid of $1.5 million, the same price of a New York City apartment, advertised as a slice of paradise. The property surrounded by water on three sides comes with a pool, a fountain, and a private balcony overlooking the other Virgin Islands. I got I to gotta Google this one. I used to live in the Virgin Islands. Beautiful water. It's beautiful. And Hermes not delivering with its latest product, the luxury giant unveiling a collection of high-cost stationary items, including a single paper envelope for $125 and a paperweight for over 5 Gs. In response, a number of customers taken to social media to criticize the prices, with one reviewer saying they would even pay $13 for the paperweight. Wex, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with KeyBank upgrading Verizon to overweight and hiking its price target to $45. The analysts think the wireless setup is favorable in 2024 and expects Verizon to show year-over-year improvement in post-pad phone plans. Its broadband business should also continue to outperform AT&T, according to analysts, taking a look at Verizon shares up almost 1%. Goldman is downgrading Schwab and Blackstone to neutral from buy. Goldman says the perceived rates winners versus losers. 
The stock moves have left valuation multiples for many stocks at normalized levels and out of sync with growth expectations. Goldman is also upgrading State Street and Ameriprise to buy from neutral. KBW is downgrading SoFi to underperform from market perform and is cutting its price target to $6.50 a share. That suggests the stock could drop more than 30% from where it's trading at right now. KBW says slowing growth in originations and in SoFi's tech segment could be a drag on earnings and on revenue. SoFi shares down more than 4.5%. Time now for your global briefing. Shares of global shipping firms Maersk and Hapag Loig, they're moving higher. Both companies say they will continue diverting operations from the Red Sea following a weekend attack on one of uh, a Maersk vessel. The disruption posing fresh risk to the global supply chain as Maersk puts more than 30 container vessels set to sail through the Suez on hold. Unlisted French shipping giant CMA-CGM also announcing it will increase shipping rates from Asia to the Mediterranean region by up to 100 percent starting on January 15th. Chinese EV stocks under pressure in Hong Kong despite reporting strong delivery numbers for the fourth quarter. Names like Great Wall, Lee Auto and Neo all falling by up to four and a half percent on concerns over competition and increased pricing pressures. This after Berkshire-backed BYD took Tesla's spot as the world's best-selling EV maker on sales uh, based on its most recent quarter. And Airbus reportedly in talks to buy Atos's cybersecurity unit for nearly $2 billion. The Wall Street Journal says the acquisition could boost Airbus defense and security through added skills in cybersecurity, advanced computing, and artificial intelligence. The proposed deal comes after Airbus failed to take a minority stake in Atos last year. All right, coming up, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus why famed big short investor Steve Eisman is betting against Wall Street consensus once again, this time with his eyes on the Fed. We'll be back on Worldwide Exchange in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We start with shares of Apple, extending yesterday's losses following a rare downgrade by Barclays. Concerns about weakening iPhone 15 sales, hardware demand, and regulation all weighing on the stock. Apple shares down just about a half a percent. Fisher Investments denying a Wall Street Journal report of sales talk with private equity firm Advent International. In a statement, the money manager says it's not being bought by Advent or anyone else and would have corrected the journal if they had bothered to verify the story. The NFL finding billionaire investor and Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper $300,000 after he was caught on video apparently throwing a drink at an opposing fan. In response, Tepper says he regrets his behavior and will accept the league's discipline for his conduct. KKR-backed Brightspring Health Services filing for an IPO in the U.S. The company had been planning to raise $1 billion as of September, according to Bloomberg reports. Big short investor Steve Eisman questioning the level of bullishness on Wall Street, saying there's room for things to go wrong due to enthusiasm around the magnificent seven stocks, and the expectations for multiple rate cuts this year. Also, Ford is recalling more than 100,000 F-150s because of a bolt in the rear axle that could break. That's according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. The recall covers certain F-150 models for years 2021 to 2023. All right, here's what to watch today. Weekly mortgage applications, December ISM manufacturing, and the November Jobs Opening and Labor Turnover Survey, or the JOLTS Report. Minutes from the Fed's latest monetary policy decision where they pause rate hikes for a third straight time. And House Speaker Johnson will head to Eagle Pass, Texas with several House Republicans to hold a press conference on how the Biden administration has handled its border policy. All right, taking a look at futures right now. Markets looking to extend yesterday's losses. The sell-off in both stocks and bond prices marking the worst start to a year since 2002. 
leading the decline in the Nasdaq, coming off its worst daily performance since October and third worst first day of the year performance since the dot-com bust back in 2001. Let's talk much more about this and what it means for the day ahead with Keith Lerner, co-chief investment officer at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, Happy New Year. Great to see you. Hey, Happy New Year, Frank. It's great to be with you. So again, uh, we're seeing the futures under some pressure as we see bond yields rise. Give us a sense. How do you see the day ahead? What is your WEX word of the day? Okay. Well, um, the WEX word of the day is overbought. And, um, you know, this market, as we all know, has a big move towards the end of last year. Where, um, the S&P up 15 percent since the October lows, small caps up 25 percent. Um, and then we also saw yields come down a lot. Now, yields, as you're seeing today, is, is floating back with that 4 percent level. I will say, Frank, overbought is not necessarily a bad thing longer term. In fact, I'm going to tell you a pretty interesting study that we did. There's a momentum indicator. It's called the RSI, Relative Strength Index. So that's mm-hmm. a fancy word for momentum. And it reached above 80 for only the 15th time since 1980. When we look back historically, a year later, when we have such a strong momentum signal, the market's up 13 out of 15 times. So that's a pretty good hit ratio. But on a short-term perspective, you tend to give some of that uh, back, at least on like a one-month outlook. All right. So speaking of giving back, obviously, we had a banner year in the markets uh, in 2023. Now we are officially in 2024. Um, this first week, do you think that some of the things that we're seeing, whether it be Apple after the downgrade or some other parts of the market, is this simply price taking or is this some concerns about the strength of the economy and the strength of the earnings outlook going forward? Listen, I think we we went a long way in a short period of time. We just came off a nine week winning streak. That's the longest winning streak since 2004. A breather consolidation makes a lot of sense to us. Moreover, when you look at election years, Frank, the first part of the election year tends to be choppier. And the last point I'll make is that unlike last year, when you were coming into the year with very low expectations, expectations this year are very are much higher. And you can see that reflected in like bearish sentiment, which is about half the amount of bearishness that we have now relative to where we started last year. So I think this is all um, okay. you know, perfectly normal based on how much we moved towards the end of last year. All right. So Keith, that wasn't your last point, but we got a few more points to give us. Uh, one of your picks for us today is the S&P equal weight. Um, why are you so bullish on the S&P equal weight? Obviously, when you look at the, the regular S&P 500, it's very much dominated by tech. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I still think the, the large cap S&P index will be fine over, over the next year. But um, as we know, last year, there were three sectors that outperformed uh, the market, which were all technology, communications and consumer discretionary. They were up 50 percent. The equal weighted index, as the name implies, gives it an, the same weight to each stock. And uh, I think that's a positive. When you have so much concentration risk, this is a good way to hedge that. We're seeing better price momentum out of this area as well. And the underperformance last year was about 12 uh, percentage points. That's one of the greatest we've seen over the last 30 years. So to hedge some of this risk that we're seeing in technology more short term, also with somewhat better valuations and price momentum, we think that's a good relative place to be right now. All right. Give us the elevator pitch on small caps. You're bullish on those as well. Um, Small caps, Hardest hit yesterday as we see bond yields rise in general, small caps, more interest rate sensitive. Yeah, well, we, we prefer the equal weight over the small caps, but I think small caps are still trading out. Even with this run of 25 percent since the October lows, it's still trading at one of the uh, near the lowest valuation over the last 30 years. And you have that positive price momentum as well. I would say with small caps after that run, I would be more apt to be looking at adding that on pullbacks okay. as to pressing that today. All right, Keith Erner from Truist. S&P equal weight is picked for us today. Keith, great to see you. Thank you very much. One quick look at futures before we let you go. Uh, Again, futures in the red across the board. Looks like the Dow's actually hitting its lows of this morning, looking like it would open more than 70 points lower. The Nasdaq also under pressure. 
Uh, Apple down about a half a percent, certainly weighing on the NASDAQ this morning. And that's where we'll leave you. We have Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.